On this episode of the End of Tourism podcast, season four, Europe. And this is how the people describe to us what happens to them. You can really see because many times the people describe to you one situation and then they show you their back. And in their back, you see the marks of the batons or the marks wow. of sticks or things like that. So it's very obvious to see that the person is injured. Many times people can come with blood or with bruises in their faces because the police beat them in their faces. Of the things that is very common is to steal their belongings. So like this, you make more difficult for them to continue their trip because then they take their phones, their clothes, money. So then if you see yourself, for example, again, with no phone, with no money, with no shoes, with no basic clothes, then you cannot continue your trip. You need mm. to find a way to get money again. Welcome to the End of Tourism podcast, season four, Europe. Our conversations explore the unauthorized histories of modern travel, of wanderlust, exile, and radical hospitality. They are deep dialogues for the dilemmas of our hypermobile times. Season four is an introduction into what's happening in Southern Europe and beyond in terms of the over-tourism and border crises there the social movements that have arisen to contend with them, and what it means to proceed as honorable hosts and guests in our time. Recently, I moved the pod's distribution to Substack, where you can now find all of the End of Tourism episodes and essays, as well as my other writing and recordings on the themes of culture, food, media, myth, and psychedelics. All of this is available without a paywall, at chrischristu.substack.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-C-H-R-I-S-T-O-U dot substack.com. Currently, the pod relies on a gift economy model in which your donations ensure that this work continues. Without our current subscribers and patrons, I simply wouldn't be able to offer this to you. Thank you to each of you who offer your gift to this project. There are some simple ways to support the pod. You can sign up to my Substack, as mentioned, and receive monthly updates on new episodes and essays. I've set up a pay-what-you-can system, which allows you to support the pod on a monthly, yearly, or one-time basis, or you can sign up for free. Next, stumbling across the podcast is often made possible and difficult by those ratings-based algorithms we all love so much, typically yoked to listener reviews. So, that said, please take a moment, it doesn't take longer than that, to rate or review the pod on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, whether it be Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. It's really, really deeply appreciated. And finally, if there are other creative ways you'd like to assist, whether through post-production, marketing, diffusion, or any other manner, please feel free to get in touch. My guest in this episode is Barbara from No Name Kitchen, an independent movement working alongside the Balkan and Mediterranean routes to promote humanitarian aid and political action for those who suffer the difficulties of extreme journeys and violent pushbacks. No Name Kitchen's actions include offering medical care, distribution of food and clothes, legal support, and the denunciation of abuses at the borders, where thousands of human beings keep suffering violence, fatigue, and sickness during their migratory processes. No Name Kitchen was born in Belgrade in winter of 2017 when a group of volunteers started cooking alongside the thousands of people who were fending for themselves after the closure of the Hungarian frontier. Since then, NNK supports those who suffer the lack of safe and legal pathways, collecting testimonies, and denouncing the, the systematic use of institutional violence at the borders. Welcome, Barbara, to the End of Tourism podcast. Thank you for joining us on behalf of No Name Kitchen. Thank you very much, Chris. I'd love it if we could start off with you telling us where you find yourself today, both geographically and perhaps emotionally as well. What does the world look like for you? So actually in a very interesting place because I am visiting one friend who was living with me in Bosnia. He's one of the persons that started with me and developed with me the project of Knowing Kitchen in Bosnia. And so I'm visiting her that we didn't see each other for the last four years because we are all the time very busy with our lives and mm. with our different projects. 
So I am here with her these days with the plan to head to Croatia next week because uh, political context changed in the borders a little bit in the last month. And mm. now there are people on the move in that are passing through Rijeka, that is one Croatian city. And I want to go to see the situation there. And then maybe if I find the time, I will also head to Kladusha and Bihać, that are the border areas of Bosnia, where I used mm. to live in the past and where I spent a lot of time of my life there. Mm, interesting. And you're from Spain originally, is that correct? Yeah, I'm from Spain. And normally I, I spend the most of the time in Spain in the last uh-huh. years because sometimes you need a break from the border. Emotionally, I feel very well as well because I'm with my friend who is a brilliant person and I adore her. She was a perfect colleague. You know, when you are at the border, the life is very tough. You see a lot of people mm. suffering. But having her as a colleague, it was a beautiful thing because we gave so much support to each other. What a blessing. What a blessing. Mm. I was very lucky. Well, I know that a lot of the work that No Name Kitchen does is based in the Balkans and as well in Ceuta in Spain. And we'll come to those regions momentarily. But I'd like to ask you first, why No Name Kitchen? Why a kitchen without a name? It's a very nice story because No Name Kitchen was born in a very informal way, you know. It is not actually an organization. It's a movement of people. Then there are different organizations in different registered in different countries, but itself non engaging is a movement of people helping people. And in 2017, so let's make a little bit of context. In 2016, European Union sent money to Turkey to close the borders of the Balkan mm. Yeah. So in the beginning of 2017, in the winter, many people found themselves in Serbia. They were trying to migrate to go to some country in, in Europe, and then they found themselves in Serbia with the borders of European Union closed. And many people like were activists that went to Greece to, to help people on the move because they knew the situation of what was happening since 2015. You probably remember in 2015 all this amount of people that were going from Turkey to somewhere in Europe to ask for asylum, to seek international protection. So many people that were in Greece uh, helping. They got information that in the city center of Belgrade, which is the capital city of Serbia, they were like more than 1,000 people, mainly from Afghanistan at that moment, many of them minors with no parents, living in the old train station in a very bad conditions. And the weather was horrible. It was super cold. It was probably one of the coldest winters of the last years. So wow. they just went there. They got some quotes from other organizations. They went there and they saw a horrible situation with none of the big institutional organizations were helping. So then they, with these posts that they had and asking for help in, in social media, in their own social media, people start sending money and they start cooking right away. So then they found this group of activists from many countries, found themselves cooking every day, I mean, also together with people on the move and distributing food every day, every night. And then one day they were thinking like, this seems like an organization. We mm-hmm. actually are kind of organization. And then one guy from Afghanistan, he wrote on the wall with a spray kitchen, you know, because it's like, we have a kitchen, we have an organization, but we have no name. And then this the same guy, he wrote no name. And then he was like, no name kitchen. And it just stayed like mm-hmm. this. I think it's amazing. It's very pure name. And it really shows what is the way running kitchen movement works. It's informal way of people cooperating and doing things together and helping each other. And so in that context, it was a spontaneous organization of people? Or how did they, I mean, obviously people heard about this, but how did they come to organize together? Social media is the most easy thing, right? So then mm. they open like this Facebook profile and then they say what is going on. Some journalists started going there because this activists started talking about the situation. So journalists and photojournalists went there and started showing the images. Mm-hmm. Oh, because it was really like minus 20 degrees and things like that. And people were living in the old train station and were using this wood from the old train station that has this liquid that is toxic. So it was pretty awful. And also at the same time, the activists start hearing all these stories about the pushbacks, which is yeah, something that we keep denouncing since then. That is when people try to enter European Union, police will push them back to Serbia with violence, which is totally illegal. So yeah, it was just people that were in Greece trying to help people in Greece. Finally, everybody knows everybody in this activist world. And if you don't know anyone, then you contact someone and then this person will tell you, ah, there is this group of people doing that. Maybe you're interested. 
and then with the Facebook, they started to ask for donations. They started to call for more people to go and help because the situation was a big emergency and needed more, more people. Some other people will give interviews on newspapers. For example, I was not there at the moment. I arrived some months later. And how I met Noninkichi is because one girl told her situation to one Spanish newspaper. I read this interview. I found like amazing their job they are doing. I found them on the social media and I contacted Noninkichi. And then I head mm -hmm. to Belgrade a few months after. So, yeah, spontaneously. Mm. Within kitchens themselves, if we can call it that, within the no-name kitchens, what kind of people end up showing up? Are these people who are already a part of the no-name kitchen network, or are they local people as well? Well, we call ourselves kitchen names. <laughs> it's many different kinds of people, like really. It's, it's people. People want to help. People are good. Despite all the politics that surround us, there is a lot of beautiful people in this world. And they can be someone who is retired and he was a lawyer in his life and now he finished his work and he's 66 years old and he wants to do something and he goes to Serbia and he spends there two months. He can be someone that is 22 years old and is doing an internship for the university and decided instead of doing a very easy internship, they will come with us and face the, what is really the situation in Europe. It's a very wide movement of people. Some of them can come to the borders. and We have a policy of minimum one month because it makes mm. everything easier for the work. Right. But then also a kitchener is a person that is in his home or her hometown gathering beautiful clothes to send to the borders so people can dress nicely. And a kitchener is a person that is making some event in her or his town to raise money to share, to send to the um, activities. And there's really a lot of people. Because finite people are good and finite people want to help, they understand. We cannot really be living in this Europe that they are making for us, the politicians. No, we need a more human place to live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true, as you mentioned before, that is more people from the south of Europe and Germany also. Not so much from the north of Europe. Basically. Speaking of the issues in the Balkans in between Serbia and Turkey and Greece, of course, perhaps for our listeners, if you could, perhaps there's a way of summarizing briefly the main issues that are arising in Southern Europe regarding these immigration crises. Why is this happening? What are the major positions of the European Union, of organizations like No Name Kitchen? And what does that dynamic look like from a distance? So first, I want to tell you, in No Name Kitchen, we don't say migration crisis because apparently there are not really so many people who are migrating. So the crisis has been, it's a border crisis, a political mm, crisis, and right. it's a humanitarian crisis. There are not so many migrants, and if the borders will be open, all this mess will not be happening, right? So we don't call it migration crisis. So basically, according to the European Union law, if you want to apply asylum if you come from a country that is in war or a country with a dictatorship that when you complain about something or you can see yourself in jail from a country in conflict or whatever or you are from LGBT if you want to apply for asylum it's very very few chances that you can get any visa to travel to Europe mm. so imagine you are in Syria you are in Afghanistan you are in Iraq you are in Morocco and you want to apply for asylum to come to Europe or to get any visa that will allow you to come to Europe by plane. It's mm. very, very, very few chances that they will give you any visa to come. But the European Union law also says that if you are in the European Union soil and you apply for asylum and you apply for international protection, it's your right that the country where you are, it starts a procedure to see and to understand if you really need this protection, which is a long legal procedure, and it takes a while, yeah? So... That basically is one of the main reasons why people are seeing themselves crossing borders in irregular manners and seeing themselves risking their lives, as it just happened now from Libya, this shipwreck in, in Greece. So mm. people were coming from Libya to Italy, and now a lot of people have dead, and others are in centers in Greece now. So this is the main point why people will cross the borders in irregular manners. But then there is a problem, and it's like European Union is not following its own rules. So then when a person arrives, for example, let's say Greece, let's say Bulgaria, I say this because they are more in the south. Let's say Croatia or Hungary, countries that are bordered with other their countries, the people arrive there, and then when they try to apply for asylum, the most common thing that can happen to them, and what we've been denouncing since the very beginning, because people were explaining to us, and we saw it was something very systematically, and it's something that is happening on a daily basis, 
is that police take them back to this other country, which means a pushback, which is called a pushback. And mm. many times these pushbacks, which are illegal according to the European Union law, come with a lot of violence. Uh, many times the police will steal the things from the people on the move. Mm. Uh, many times they take, for example, their shoes when it's winter, and then people need to walk in the snow in the winter without shoes until they arrive right. to a safe place. So this is basically why people are crossing borders on these ways. Then another question that is very common, why a person will not stay, for example, in Bosnia, will not stay in Serbia or in North Macedonia, which are safe countries, which are very nice countries. Yeah. So the problem is that if you look to the numbers, there are very few people that get asylum there. So there is people that try to because it's like, OK, I'm in a safe place. There is no work here and it's a beautiful place. But then. If you look to the numbers, there are very, very, very few people every year that can access asylum. And while also you are waiting for your asylum to be perceived, normally they keep you in those camps that really don't have the basic conditions to really have a decent life. Mm. Mm. I say camps, I mean these refugee camps or transit camps, depends how they call them in each country. Wow. Thank you. And the major sites that No Name Kitchen operates in include Ceuta in Spain, which surprisingly is actually on the African mainland, uh, as well as in the Balkans and Serbia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and Patras, Greece. Well, pa Patras just finished, right? Basically, many people are not going anymore to Greece as before, because mm. in Greek, the, the politics became very tough against people who are migrating. So many times people are forced to be in detention centers, like in, in detention camps, while they mm. apply for asylum, while they wait for the asylum to be proceed. It's like really a jail. So mm. now many people go through Bulgaria and then Serbia. So in Greece, there are not so many people anymore as it used to be. And we just closed a few weeks ago. But always open that if more people start coming to Greece, that we can reopen any project there. Okay. And these other sites then, and Ceuta, as well as Serbia, Bosnia, and Bulgaria, these places are so important for No Name Kitchen in part because this is essentially where the movement of people flows through? We are basically in the borders because we do many things no? every day. We share food, clean clothes, provide tools that people can have hot showers because also the, many people don't have access to water. We have a health project that is someone needs a paid treatment because it's like, for example, dentist or for the eyes and then in the hospital they don't want to, to give any of these treatments. And we pay for the private doctors and so on. So it's many activities that we do every day, apart from spending time with people on the move and listening and spending and sharing our stories. But then all these also bring us to see how much their rights are attacked all the time. So then mm. the aim is to denounce. The aim is that we don't need not to give this charity because there will be justice and then people don't need any more. Uh, so the, the aim is to denounce what is happening all the time. So in the place where we are is basically border areas. The border mm. areas is where uh, you can see how Europe is really not respecting the human rights. And because it's quite tough places, there is not so many movements on these areas. So, for example, the humanitarian aid is pretty much criminalized. So normally police will disturb you just because you're giving jackets to people. Mm. So it's are places that are strategically for denouncing and since it started in Serbia, first it started in Belgrade, but three months after, the team moved to Shit, which is in the border with Croatia, because many people were there. And it was a point where you could really denounce all the pushbacks from Croatia. So then all the other projects have been going very much together with the idea of reporting the border violence. Yeah? Mm. And in Ceuta, uh, Spain, which is border with Morocco, is like another border for people, because even if it's Spain, People are not allowed to take a ferry very easily to the mainland. It's very difficult. So there is a lot of bureaucratic problems on the middle, like barriers that keep, mm. are being put to the people. So then they don't have the chance to cross legally to the mainland. So many people also risk their life there. And at the same time, sometimes there are pushbacks from Ceuta to Morocco. We've been denounced uh, pushbacks of minors and actually together with other organizations from Spain. And actually, the former delegate of the government got investigated for that. And they are under, I don't know how you say in English, like investigadas. Uh-huh. Investigations. Yeah. So basically, border areas are very much important for what we want to denounce. Mm. 
Mm. And now we're starting a project in Ventimiglia, Italy, which ah. even if it's inside of Italy, is very near France. And we visited the places and then we saw how there are also pushbacks from France. So this okay. is another place that it could, it could be interesting to denounce because many, many times people would think like, ah, but it's happening there in Croatia and Serbia, you know, like Serbia is not European Union. So people sometimes think that when we are talking about the pushbacks and all this violence, like very far from us, and it's difficult to make people understand that it's actually with the money that comes from the European Union. That means that if you are from the European Union or you're working here and paying taxes here, your taxes are used to pay to torture people, basically, no? Mm. So wow. it's also nice to be inside of Europe to show how this violence is systematic in the different borders. Right. And in the context of these pushbacks, I imagine they're happening in all different contexts and circumstances. Could you give us a little bit of an idea of what that looks like? I mean, I imagine a few different things. I imagine that people are in detention centers, people are in refugee camps. I imagine that in some instances, people are simply on the street and then perhaps in others trying to get a meal. I mean, we don't see the pushbacks. Pushbacks are hidden. And also we are at the other side of the borders. We only can meet people after they got pushback. Yeah. Mm, okay. So for example, you're in Serbia and this person tells you like, I just been pushed back from Hungary. But we are okay. not in the border. You know, but you cannot be at the border. We are in, in different towns near the border areas. Right? Okay. So a pushback is like a person tries to cross the border in different ways. For example, walking in the forest hiddenly. It's very common. So this is the stories that people tell to us. And then at some points, police see them in maybe in Hungary or maybe in Bulgaria or maybe in Croatia. Those are all European Union countries. And then either the police or it can be also neighbors that they believe they are patriots. They will call the police. You can mm. see the people on the move walking. And then the police will can arrive there and can take the people back to the border by cars. Many times they need to sign papers that they don't know what is written on these papers. Many times they get lied by the police telling like, if you sign this paper, you can access to asylum. And then actually you are signing a paper that is making you a punishment for something. Or you're signing that you want to really go back to the other country. So you're signing something that you don't know. Many times people get put into detention places. It's very mm. common in Bulgaria and in Croatia, for example. And then when they leave these pension places, they are told that they need to pay for their days they've been sleeping there for the accommodation and the food, which is like normally, according to what people explain to us, accommodation and food are awful. Many times not even enough food. And many times we are talking that those are children or very young people as well. And then police will take them to the border and then force them to come back to the country that is not European Union, which means maybe Bosnia, maybe Serbia, or maybe Turkey if they are in Bulgaria. And many times this comes with very huge violence. As you can see in our websites, we speak often about this. Nonin Kitchen created one network that is called Border Violence Monitoring Network. Border violence. violence Monitoring Network. Now we are not anymore part of it since last month because we will report in other ways by ourselves and with different partners. But there you can find all the testimonies we've been gathering since 2017. Mm. and it's how the people describe to us what happens to them many times you can really see because many times the people describe to you one situation and then they show you their back and in their back you see the marks of the batons or the marks wow. of sticks or things like that so it's very obvious to see that the person is injured many times people can come with blood or with bruises in their faces because the police beat them in their faces wow. and then other of the things that is very common is to steal their belongings. So like this, you make more difficult for them to continue their trip because then they take their phones, their clothes, money. So then if you mm -hmm. see yourself, for example, in Serbia, again, with no phone, with no money, with no shoes, with no basic clothes, then you cannot continue your trip. You need mm -hmm. to find a way to get money again. You need to find, like, for example, that your family sends to you and then you can buy another phone and then you can buy new nice shoes so you can continue at some point your way to try to ask for international protection to some European Union country. Wow. Wow. And I guess it, there's this aspect of the state that seems so deeply involved in the suppression and repression of these movements, especially of, from asylum seekers, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that you hear about quite a bit in many parts of the world where there are these border crises, right? 
in regards to people who live in the borderlands, who are, for whatever reason, against the movement or flows of people in this regard, against asylum seekers. And this obviously ends up or can end up with not just hostility, but violence, racism, etc. And I'm also curious about the possibility of hospitality in these contexts. And certainly No Name Kitchen appears to take on that role and that responsibility quite a bit. And it's one of the main themes of this podcast as well is hospitality. And I'm reminded of this story that some years ago, and at the beginning of the war in Syria around 2015-2016, I heard a rumor that Syrian refugees were hiding in the abandoned houses in my grandparents' villages in northern Greece, right on the border with North Macedonia, in the daytime and waiting until night to cross the border, mostly to avoid capture and persecution at the hands of either Greek or Macedonian authorities. And last year, I was visiting my grandmother there, and she confirmed the story and said that <laughs> this 85-year-old woman, she left her house in the daytime in the same village with trays and trays of food and jars of water to offer these travelers before they moved along. Since No Name Kitchen relies largely on donations, I'm wondering about this notion of old-time hospitality as opposed to the kind of industrial hospitality we hear about or we see in hotels. One of the themes of this season is also about what kind of old-time hospitality still exists in Europe. And I'm wondering what you and your team might have seen in this regard. So this is a very interesting question because things have changed so much during the years and basically because the authorities have criminalized so much. The people on the move in general, like, being a migrant is like being a criminal, according to much general speech from the politicians, which comes from the European Union. Mm. And at the same time, it's being criminalized, the help, humanitarian help is being criminalized. So imagine, for example, I want to tell you the story in Bosnia, because Bosnia is the project where I spend the most of my time in the last years. When I arrived in Bosnia, in Kladusha, in, that is in, in the north of Bosnia, near Croatia, I was middle of 2018 and people will be very nice and then people will be very nice with people on the move so people on the move did not have a place where to stay because there was no camp created there and the mayor of the town said that they can use this field and to stay so there was a field mm. and then like independent organizations or independent movements like non in kitchen or others will be building tents, will be providing blankets and showers and so on because the institutional organizations were doing pretty much nothing. Mm. And at that moment, there were like around 1,000 people there. It was already very difficult to cross and there were already a lot of pushbacks. So it was really difficult to cross. And some people stayed there for two years. So imagine how wow. can it be that people can stay there up to two years. And the local people were also very nice. They will go to this camp, which is called Ternovi, to this field, and will bring food, will bring clothes, will spend their cooking together time with people because also there were a lot of families, a lot of children no? from Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Morocco, and so on. So it was actually very nice to see. And also from our side with the local people, local people really welcome us very nicely because they knew that we are going there to help and they were actually very worried to see all these people on the move suffering so much you know because also it's very hard for them you have to understand that in Bosnia there was a very bad and cruel war not so long time ago right. so like when you see yourself that you need to see how children are walking in the night pretty much cold because they were just pushed back with their families and then you see people with bruises in their faces and things like that it is also very hard for the Bosnian people mm. but despite that they were very welcoming and very nice when the months start passing the police start criminalizing the humanitarian aid so that means that for example there was this family that had some people on the move living in their place for free and then the police put them a fine of like, it was like 1,000, 2,000 euros, which is a lot of money for Bosnian income. Then um, if you have a bar and people on the move can enter your bar, police will go to disturb you. So then in many bars, it just started to be written, and which is very sad to say and to imagine, but this happens. Migrants not allowed in the door. 
Mm, because so the local know. people were also being harassed or under threat as a result. So the police will disturb very much the owners of the bars where right. they welcome uh, people on the move. And then with the time also, because there are many places that do not accept people on the move, then if you accept people on the move, many people will be there because there is not so many places anymore where they can spend the day and having a coffee, being a pretty woman. So the criminalization of the people on the move started like, actually when the money from European Union came and then a camp was built, finally a lot of money came the institutional organizations obviously took over this money to build the camp. Mm. And then this speech started because there were also like fights who is going to manage the camps and so on. Then, for example, as it happens everywhere, because this is not exclusively in Kladusha, as it happens everywhere, whenever there are any elections, migrants are used for uh, mm. getting votes. No? Mm. So, uh, for example, in 2020, after the lockdown, which was already a very hard period, there were elections in the north of Bosnia and then the politicians used the migrants for their speech and a lot of hate speech was spread. So and mm. even was local people will organize themselves to go and beat migrants. So it changed from being super nice to the thought that these people are actually not good. European Union keeps expulsing these people. European Union authorities send a lot of money to the borders to keep these people out of the European Union. So something mm-hmm. might be wrong with them. European Union feels with the right to beat these people in their faces, to, to, to push them back and also with violence. So maybe these people are not so worthy. So it's like how all these actions that come from all these European Union countries are dehumanizing people in a very bad way. Also people will complain like, ah, because the people are not clean. And of course they are not clean because the authorities cut the access to water. So the main access to water so you can have a proper shower were cut for a while, things like that. So it changed very much from the moment that everybody was super welcoming to the opposite. And this is very much related with the speech that EU sends to the people who are trying to seek asylum. Mm. So you think that this change in the way that people perceive these people on the move and the flows of people, it comes from the top down, that it's a diffusion of EU-based, state-based language that then gets diffused as it rolls down the pyramid as it makes its way into social media for example yeah sure the thing is that the main authority the main one is sending millions of euros and they say always you can listen to to ursula von der leyen for example who is the, the president of the european commission she will say like we are sending money to fight uh, mafias of human trafficking we are sending mm. money to reinforce the borders, to protect our borders. If you need mm. to protect our borders, it's because someone wants to attack the borders, right? Mm. If you are getting this work protection, right. we're we protecting from a six-year-old child from Syria. We are protecting from this, actually. So, But when you are using this speech, you are making the people understand that we need to get protected from them. So that means these people are dangerous, right? And you're mm. telling this. You're sending mm. millions of euros every year to protect the borders and to fight against human trafficking uh, mafias. This is what they say. It's not me. So, of course, a person who is sitting on her house and knows that some pe- that in her town there is 800 people, for example, walking that she doesn't know, she would believe like, ah, these people are dangerous. Because mm. what, you, what, what this woman who has a lot of authority is telling in the television openly. Right. I had an interview with Fiore Longo, who's a representative of Survival International one of the oldest NGOs in Europe, in the world. And in that interview, she spoke at length about how the major NGOs in the conservation world, World Wildlife Fund, African Parks, and the rest of them, were essentially collaborating with state governments in Africa in order to push indigenous people off their traditional lands in order to create national parks or national reserves or ecotourism organizations or companies. And I'm curious within the context of the border crises in Europe, how No Name Kitchen sees these much larger NGOs, the ones that imagine getting money from governments and also helping to change a government policy. We, as known in kitchen movement, do not get any money from the European Union nor from governments. Why? Because if you, as European Commission, are sending these millions of euros to protect borders, how they say, close the borders, 
while you are allowing mm, the pushbacks, because the pushbacks are being announced. We brought this information to the European Parliament. Is there? It's not a, a secret. Everybody knows this is happening. So if you, as a European Commission, are sending all these big amounts of money, but then this European Commission is sending also lots of money to these people that are rejected and that are abused at the borders to create camps for them. Mm. Yeah? You can imagine how much this European Commission cares these people and how much nice might be these camps. Those camps mm. are catastrophic, are horrible, and many people have a lot of scabies, many people have uh, diseases from bed bugs. Mm. And come to us actually to ask for cure because they ignore. So the big institutional organizations, and I'm not going to say names because I'm talking in, on behalf of Learning Kitchen, many times inside of these camps and are getting money to manage these camps, which many times are like tents. And sometimes there is no bed sheets at all. It's just this old dirty mattress, what people can find when they enter in the camp. And so you are getting these huge millions of money from the European Union. And then you are keeping quiet about the abuses at the borders. What is this? Everybody can know which organizations they are because actually the information is there. And wow. normally they have these big advertisements showing people. Also, this is something that makes me very angry because, as I tell you, they are people. They are in different circumstances that we are right now. They are same like you, and they were in their country, living a normal life until something happened. Hmm. But they don't like to see themselves in this situation. Imagine that you are like now, and then a war starts there, and then you need to see yourself asking for shoes, asking for food. This is catastrophic. This is very complicated. This is really difficult for them. But then they get these advertisements on the TV showing people like, hi, these poor refugees, they need our help. Look, these poor children, how much they need our help. But also you are kind of dehumanizing them a little bit, no? because you are showing mm. them as these poor people that they know how to do this by themselves when actually people on the move, in general, they are the bravest people I have ever met because really this journey is something that you really really need to be a brave person because the most of the people will not do the journey they stay in a calm area closer to their countries and then they show them like these poor people like they would really not have power to change their situation and it's never like this but then they make these advertisements obviously they not only get money from the European Union but also from donors that with all their good intentions want to support these mm. poor people in the refugee camps for example Greece put this rule in 2020. This refugee camp, it was at a, a detention center, but like really like a jail of maximum security. Like you really cannot leave this place. So if there is this government making these rules that are against the human rights, keeping people into detention center just because you're applying for asylum, mm -hmm. your asylum procedure is, is being analyzed, why you as an institutional organization that are supposed to work for the human rights are supporting this? And are supporting these decisions from the government. And then the government will say, okay, now this kind of organization cannot be anymore in the camps. Then you don't denounce this publicly. You keep quiet about the situation inside of the camps. So are we really here for the people's rights or you're here because of your money? Well, and I'm curious about this notion of open borders in the context of tourism as well, right? Because... Tourism operates largely on this notion of open borders. Those who can fly, those who can travel, those who have the right passports can go wherever they want. Although you have to go through customs, you have to go through security when you go to a new country, of course. And usually there's limits on how long you can stay and things like that. Generally, the pro-immigration movements, there is also very much this kind of discourse this fight for open borders in terms of asylum seekers and essentially making it easier to create that kind of hospitality that's needed for people in flight, people in exile. And so I'm curious about the dynamic between the two, right? In a lot of places in Southern Europe, especially you see graffiti that says, migrants welcome, tourists go home, right? And so I'm curious what you think of these two major avenues or channels of movement in the world between tourism and then the movement of people in flight or in exile? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, tourism is seen as a very positive thing. And then we already know that actually tourism doesn't necessarily need to be positive. It can make very expensive your city. If we talk about some countries in the world, it can bring you some pedophiles to misuse and abuse children. You know, like tourism can mm. bring many good things, many bad things, like everything in life, no? Right. 
we always say that we don't cross borders. Borders just cross us and separate us. So in Spain, for example, I say Spain because it's my country and we also have a break there. To listen like, ah, because we need more children because, you know, like birth rate is pretty low. And it's true that uh, we are not having so many children anymore. And we need young people and then this and that. But then we have all these people who are, have migrated already for living in Spain from different countries and who are young people that will be ready to study and to get education and to start working pretty fast because we are talking about people who are maybe like teenagers and so on. But the system doesn't try to mm. help them. doesn't really put any effort. You know, in Spain, there is one term that is uh, MENA to speak about uh, people who have migrated who are children. So they normally the fast is called the MENA just to dehumanize one person because you are using just this letters you know mm. mina means like my minor e extranjero foreigner mm-hmm. non-accompanied non uh, okay. so you're using just this term look out children you know so it's a way of criminalizing them and at the same time there are not proper initiatives to integrate these people to the system for example but then at the same time we have a lot of tourism and now we have this digital nomad visa mm. so look in order you get the digital nomad visa you need to have a pretty high income yeah Right. So that means that actually these people, okay, these people come to my town and then they will have a lot of money. But yeah, they can make very expensive your your city. I don't know if you've seen both in Lisbon and in Medellin, there is already protest against digital nomads because they are mm. making everything very expensive. And also in, in Medellin, it seems that a lot of the prostitution rates, so rich mm. people are abusing people who are poor, like women, of course, who are poor. And it raised the prostitution, according to what I read and what I report, because I also write about these kind of things with colleagues that I interview. So, yeah, I don't know, like, for example, it's not open borders, open borders. Last year, we were always telling that if we would allow the people who are in the Balkans to enter European Union and to ask for asylum. And also, we are asking also to Europe to respect their own law. We are not asking mm. for something very big. We are telling them to respect your own law and your own international agreements and respect uh, the human rights, yeah, which is basic. We always told, like, if these people who are in the Balkans who are not so much, really not so much, would enter, there will not, not be crisis anymore. All this shit will not be happening. And last year, we could see when a Ukrainian war started and suddenly millions of people could arrive mm. into European Union countries and could uh, house very fast, could... The children could go to study in short time. They could get integrated into the system in very few time. So this means that we are being racist because why we can host, I don't know how many millions of people born in Ukraine and skipping the war in, in Ukraine, and we cannot host some thousand people who come from Syria, Iraq, or Afghanistan. This is racism, basically. Mm. Because in the Balkans, you find families who are three years in the Balkans who have children three years without going to school, people who are getting themselves poor, you know, people when they left, it's not so easy to do this, this trip. It's very expensive. It's very hard. They had a business, for example, in Afghanistan, and then they got threatened by the Taliban, or the one that the children are taken by the Taliban to fight, whatever. And then they say, okay, we, let's sell our business, let's sell our house, our lands, take all this money, and let's go to search for a better future for our family. And then they see themselves three years, that the children don't go to school, that they cannot work, that they spend all the money every day because there is no way mm. to really find a job or to get any income. So finally, this is racism. All this difference between a person that comes from Ukraine and a person that is coming from Syria. Wow. In regards to the relationships that are built between the Kitcheners of No Name Kitchen and the asylum seekers do any of those friendships end up developing once those people have found a place to settle, a place to stay? Yeah, yeah, of course. It's true that now it's not so easy to be spend time together because the police is really much disturbing you because you're giving a jacket to someone. So it doesn't mm. allow you to spend so much time anymore together. But in general, what we promote in Onigitian and what is very important for us is that we, we are really together now. Because... We are people, all of us, we are people, just in different circumstances. We are actually, right. all of us, migrants, well, some of them are local people as well that are supporting us because many local people also support our activities. Maybe not always so active because it's very tired to be every day in your own mm-hmm. hometown doing these things and facing 
all these challenges. For us, it's very important to create networks of trust and mutual understanding. So it's not only you are helping someone. No, no, it is not about this. It's about you are there, you are learning with a, with a person, we are spending time with a person. You're, it's amazing for me. Being volunteer with Nonin Kitchen is amazing because you can learn so much. You can meet so much amazing people. And you tell, tell you that I'm here with a colleague that she was with me in, in Bosnia. And then uh, next week, some friends who live in different European countries are going to come to visit us. One is originally from Syria. The other is originally from Pakistan. Mm. They are going to come here to visit because now they are already have made their lives. One is living in France. They are living in the Netherlands. They have their papers, everything. So now they can travel freely around European Union. So this is very, very, very important for us. And actually, these networks are very valuable because maybe some person arrives later to some country, and then this person has already friends in this country. Mm, right. And in some instances, some of the people do end up returning, or maybe not returning is the right word, but reuniting with a no-name kitchen and other places to help perhaps serve those on the move for a time. Like, like taking papers in Europe, it takes very long, so it's not so easy. And we started right. only in 2017. So many of the people that we know, they are still on the way to get papers. It's a really long process, no? But for example, there is this friend of me who is from Iran, and I met him in Gladusha in Bosnia. And now he's living in France. And the other day he wrote me, he was with two colleagues of me, that he also met them in Bosnia. And he was visiting them and the newborn baby they have. in. Mm. And he would really like to come to volunteer with Nonin Kitchen because now he has documents that he could. But at the same time, because of the working conditions, finally, in this racist work, sometimes cannot be the same for everybody. So he doesn't right. have the chance to just get one whole month to come. But at some point, yeah, he's thinking about coming. It can be difficult because then I tell you that police sometimes are chasing people who are not white. So sometimes it can be difficult right. at the same time. But yeah, wow. the idea is like many of our friends now at some point will start no, getting or are getting documents. So this is a network of people with people and for people. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah, it does remind me of the philosophies and practices of mutual aid, apoyo mutuo. But it's very important. The other day I was telling to my therapist because I go to therapy because of the stress. Yeah, so we're talking about. Ah, because last time I was on the field, and then she was telling, like, yeah, who helps you when you're helping? It's like, no, you cannot imagine. Like, people on the move have really tried to help you as well. You know, like they can help us with the distribution. They can help us giving a lot of support. For example, when I was living in Bosnia and I had like a free day, I would go to my Afghan friends, to their squad. They had a very warm stove there and I would be as there. They would cook for me. You know, mm. we'll be playing board games. We'll be laughing. And that was my holiday. And for me, that was a great moment where to spend my free day with them. And they would wow. be taking care of me because they knew I was very stressed and they wanted me to be spoiled one day, you know. Uh, it's beautiful really beautiful yeah the kind of hospitality that can arise in times of conflict right Mm -hmm. Mm. and so in a time of border crises seems to exist in so many parts of the world so few people at least in my purview or my understanding actually know about these border crises or understand the complexity around them. And so I'm curious what kind of advice you might have for people who are either critical of immigration or people who want to understand the issues more deeply. And of course, those who support asylum seekers. Yeah, I mean, finally, we are in the era of information, right? So if you want to get information, good information, because also you need to identify the misinformation sources. And if you want to get good information, there is a lot. So yes, read, get informed. And also go with people that have migrated and talk to them. Because mm. you will meet them and you will spend a lot of time with them and then you will see how are their stories behind. And also I really recommend people to get more information about this because I cannot uh, believe that in the 21st century we are using the money of our taxes to pay for torturing. This is just insane because this is torture, really, what is happening at the borders of the European Union. And I guess many people in European Union countries do not want their taxes to be spent like this, but at the same time, they don't get informed about this. But there are so many sources of information. From us, in our social media, we keep informing on a daily basis about the different things that are happening always. But in general, there are very good newspapers all over 
in different languages where you can get good information and also go to people and talk to people. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, go to people and talk to the people, the people that, you know, you would perhaps not even talk to, just criticize without having anything to do with, right? And that most of those people that have an incredible unwillingness, like they're willing to criticize, but they're not willing to go and talk to the people who they're criticizing, right? And it's really interesting because as you were talking about earlier, you know, Lisbon and Medellin and the backlash against digital nomads and things like that. This is happening as well in Oaxaca, although against tourists in general. Some people ask me like, well, what do we do? And and I say, well, why don't you go talk to the tourists? Ask them why they're here. Ask them what their life is like, because there's this image, the single or singular image of the tourist. And it's a caricature. It's a stereotype. And it says that all tourists are exactly the same. They come for the same reasons. They do the same things. And they have nothing to do with us, right? They are totally the opposite of who we are and all of this stuff. And it's very, very similar to the way that people, especially people who speak poorly of immigrants or people on the move, also view this. And just this unwillingness to speak with the other, right? So much to consider. My plate is full with all you've offered today and... I'm deeply grateful to have been on the receiving end of your words today. I'm curious, Barbara, how might our listeners get involved in No Name Kitchen? How might they find out more and follow your work online? Yeah, welcome, everybody. We have Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And also now we started some months ago in TikTok. But yeah, we are on social media and also... um, we try very much to always report everything we know. So people on the move know that they can rely on us if they want to denounce something publicly. And here we are for that. So welcome mm. everybody to follow our task and to, follow, to get to know more about the situation at the borders. Well, thank you so much on behalf of our listeners. It's been an honor to speak with you and, and to really get a deeper perspective onto these notions of exile and immigration and borders and border crises happening in the world now. So. I'm really grateful for your willingness to speak with us today and to be able to add that layer to the conversation. Thanks very much to you for inviting us, for inviting me, for giving voice to the situation, to non kitchen work, and everybody welcome to follow what we do. Thank mm. you very much. Thank you, Barbara. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. To follow up on this episode, check out the homework section on our website at theendoftourism.com. Likewise, you can subscribe and join the conversation at chrischristu.substack.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-C-H-R-I-S-T-O-U dot substack.com. The pod embraces a gift economy model, and by signing up, spreading the word, and supporting us financially, you can ensure that this work continues in a good way. Until next time, farewell, friends.